Welcome to another episode of the Queermo Cast with KJ and Shimsham. I am KJ, pronouns they, them, and this beauty on my left, my front, my all, my all directions is... I'm Shimsham, pronouns they, or he, or she. Ooh. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's who I am. I am the co-host. Mama Mama Shim Sham, Queen Demon of the Universe, Supreme. Oh my goodness, looking resplendent in a purple hat today. This wig is everything. Um. <laughs> is hat wig slang? Yes. <laughs> because I've not heard that. And I, I keep thinking, if she calls my wig a hat one more goddamn time. I was just saying her. before we... <laughs> I was just saying before we hit record, she's in a punchy mood today. This is going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> how's your sleep? I've already been to the. I've already been to the boo. Um, if you're not Ooh. from here, the boo is probably the finest coffee establishment. I was about to ask, is that coffee slang? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that's you would know that if you. I know that KJ one. And, We've both worked at Caribou Coffee. How long did you work there? Not very long. Only a week or two. Two hours? I ended up moving. Um, I worked a couple of shifts. No, uh, <laughs> I, I, worked, I worked there a little longer than that. A lot of it was training, though. I never, uh, I finished, I finished my training. I was there for like a week and then we had to go. I moved out of Minneapolis to back to La Crosse and then I came back to Minneapolis and found a job at a different coffee shop, a different local coffee shop, Dunn Brothers. Oh. We love you know. coffee. We're oh we're gosh. coffee queens. Even though so I don't um well, I don't I'm not a coffee snob by any means. In fact, I drink lukewarm coffee all the time. And I love it. You know what I learned though from the internet.com? Ooh, what's um, that? I learned that coffee i learned that humans cannot perceive taste at too high of a temperature so you actually the perfect time to drink your coffee is as it's cooling and i learned that iced coffee okay let's get into it we're getting Ooh, into let's it. please please, we didn't, please we're getting we into didn't it. plan on this this is <laughs> unscripted Ooh, let's get mama um, started everybody let's go iced coffee is when you brew coffee hot, hot mm. coffee normally, mm-hmm. and then you ice it. Yes, Cold is. brew is when you soak coffee grounds in cool or room temperature water for at least 12 hours, as long as 48 uh, hours. Um, and I learned that iced coffee has... A lot more complexity to the taste because it was brewed hot. Whereas cold brew is a more smoother, mellow taste. Um, but this one coffee expert on the internet.com uh, suggested you drink iced coffee. And I was really excited to hear that because I think I prefer iced coffee to cold brew, even though 
I like both. <gasps> oh, and you know what? She said it. Mama said it. She can't I take it back. I said it. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I and, wouldn't. And, and you should. For shouldn't. a while, I was in. The, I was in the cold brew camp for a while. So if this is news to you, because <laughs> for when I first discovered cold brew, I was a whore. I was a whore. <laughs> I I went to all the cold brew establishments. Yes, of course. And don't even get me started on nitro cold brew. Do Ooh, not nitro cold brew. Okay. Anyway, what what are your coffee thoughts this morning? <laughs> I will say. I have become just a black cup of hot coffee drinker uh, more more than anything else, um, even though I do. I love a cold brew. And I also love iced coffee. Jay and I will just take the coffee that's left over from the day, put it in the fridge. And I agree. I do think that it, it retains more of the uh, – because when you brew it, brew, brew it, the heat changes the flavor. The heat does – does um there's a chemical reaction that I am not going to attempt to explain um that does so I know I love I love hot coffee and I love iced coffee when I want cold brew is when I do want that kind of smooth a little less acidity a little less in your faceness that's when I really want cold brew and sometimes that's on like a day where all I need is something caffeinated and iced because it is 95 to 104 degrees outside and humid. I'll go to a place that makes a cold brew. I love a cold brew on that day because I don't even need ice in it then. Just and if a you're a drug glass. addict, if you're a drug addict like me, <clears throat> you always need to know your ca- caffeine content. And cold brew has the most caffeine of all. Sure these. does. That's why a lot of gays love the cold brew because when we couldn't get speed anymore after the '80s, a lot of gays switched over to cold brew coffee in the '90s. <laughs> That's historically accurate, and I won't hear a word against it. I like that the way you described it sounded like CVS was like, we can't give you meth anymore. And everyone was like, what? What are we going to drink? And it's like, all we have is coffee. (laughs) So I mean, so many, so many things. We we just, we allowed. We love a CVS. I mean, they both suck. Walgreens and CVS both suck, but CVS sucks less. So, yes. <laughs> I don't know if CVS sucks less. But I don't know if it does, actually. In my, in my lifespan, I just have had a lot of encounters at CVS at midnight buying chips and chocolate. KJ lived with me, and it was wonderful. And by wonderful, I mean terrible. And I would go... <laughs> to CVS at like 1 or 2 a.m. in Washington, D.C., which you probably shouldn't be walking at night, but who cares? And I would buy chips and shredded cheese, and I'd come back, and I'd put it in the oven, and I'd make the grossest nachos. (laughs) And I would just... And KJ, I think, would wake up in the morning and been like, someone was here. (laughs) (laughs) That's because you were... You were a thief in the night. <laughs> yeah. And I think by morning, I mean like 4 a.m. Like she was getting up way too early. Anyway, we are getting sidetracked. We are. Welcome to the Queer MoCast, everybody. This is actually yeah. how Austin and I normally talk. We're yeah. <laughs> our cadence is, is much more chaotic than we've led you to believe. But let's get to it. Let's get to it. Okay. We have a tarot called reading. <gasps> and guess and what? we are reading from... The Druid Craft Tarot. Yes. Use the magic of Wicca and Druid Druidry 
to gr- to guide your life. And this is the card box, and it's this wonderful pregnant goddess. She's by a oh. creek, and she's just like, I am eight months pregnant, and I can't even. So I'm going to hold this stack of wheat. I'm going to hold <laughs> some wheat. Some wheat. And that'll help. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so we've already drawn our card. And our card is the Prince of Swords. Ah, yes. So the Prince of Swords. So it's this man, very skinny man. He looks a little too skinny. But I'm thinking, like, he lived in ancient Ireland, and all they had were potatoes. Yes. Um, And he's on a horse with, like, a gold shield and this gold helmet on the horse. There you go. And that is the Prince of Swords. So, I'm going to read two things real quick. So, first, what are the princes about? The princes are sometimes called knights. Mm, And they symbolize movement, action, and the dawning development of responsibility to others. A social conscience. So knights or princes are about a social conscience. They desire to be of service, to help others. But these attempts may be naively idealistic. Mm. Queers, we like to be idealistic. We do. Uh, Inept or incomplete through lack of experience and maturity. Um, Okay, so who is the Prince of Swords? Um, He's an intelligent, or they, they are an intelligent, articulate, and quick-witted. Um, let's jump to the meaning. Jump to the meaning. The meaning is when not indicating a person, the card may suggest a radical change in your lifestyle or your routine. Mm-hmm. New friends may appear or a whole new life may open up for you. Alternatively, it could indicate impending air travel. Well, that's <gasps> specific. <laughs> the reverse meaning. You may need to take care that you are not reacting inappropriately to a situation. Charging into or at something when really you need to step back and slow down. Mm-hmm. The type of person signified by the reversed Prince of Swords can be aggressive and destructive. So I don't know when you do a reverse meaning or when you do a meaning. It um, means that when you when you flipped the card over, was it upside down or right side up? Oh, so it was right side up. So we're doing All right, so we're upright. Okay. And so this is radical change in our lifestyle, our routine. New friends may appear or a whole new life may open up to us. And then we're also keeping in mind that princes in general are about the dawning development of responsibility to others. Mm -hmm. So KJ, what is coming up for you? So the moment uh, that you said radical changes in our routine, yeah, that uh, fits for me uh, quite a bit because we are in the process of moving. And we just yeah we signed the lease. We paid part the the first part of the deposit. We hired movers. We put a deposit down for oh. movers. Wow, um, I know because we are not carrying our furniture down the stairs anymore. Okay, you know what I'm saying. I'm 34 years old, uh, <laughs> or I will be in a couple months. Uh, I just I can't do it anymore. Um, 
And that really has like made a pretty big shift in like my personal routine. Um, I'm thinking about uh, swords are usually the cards of like logic and uh, the mental space. They're also air sign, which is why they might say air oh. travel. Um, the swords, swords are the air element. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's really, hmm. I think a, a, a big thing that this is giving me in terms of meaning in my own day-to-day life is that I always need to be really, really conscious of how the changes in my life manifest to the people around me, how I, how my behaviors change, how I might feel or seem like a different person. And to be honest with you, in this situation, I feel really good about the choice that we made and I'm feeling really like light and ready to like, like tackle this and be productive, be responsible, do this the right way. So this makes a lot of sense to me. This is like, I'm we're, we're, we're taking our next step into a better living situation. There's more space, bigger kitchen. Um, it's a private space so that, you know, me recording music at home and making a lot of noise doesn't bother other people as much because it's just us. Um, it's just, yeah, there's a there's a lot going on there. And I'm making some changes to my own life by trying to consolidate my work in less places so I'm not taking on so many responsibilities all over the place. And also trying to make sure that that doesn't come with a huge dip in pay because at this point in time, I can't afford that. Uh, so, cause our new place is more expensive. So anyway, those are all the things that came up for me. Um, a lot of things in my life that I think go right along with that card. And I think the advice here is remember that being too idealistic about things can lead you astray, be more pedantic a little bit, be very practical. And also just trusting your instinct is just as simple as, that either sounds like a good or a bad idea and just trusting that so how about for you yeah holy shit that really works for you moving that is a complete change that is so huge but i'm so excited she's gonna have she's gonna have place for a fire right Yep, an outdoor. Well, there's. I I already have a uh, a fire pit, a little portable one. I just can't use it at our current place because we have no place to light a fire. So, yes, we are very. I don't know if that's a Midwest thing or just an American thing, or maybe just a world human thing. We love um, fire. We love a fire. <laughs> we love to sit around the fire. We love it in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, we grow up camping. I think everyone's oh, yeah. been camping. I think we've all been <laughs> camping. Have you been camp? Yeah, you've been camping. Oh yeah, I go camping all the time. I mean, not 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 as much now. I wish I could do it more often, but you know, we we also like a firm bed under our backs. So oh yeah, sometimes. no, I'm not saying I like camping now as a grown as a grown up. <laughs> my idea of camping is a queen bed with a mattress and an Airbnb. No, I'm just saying we love a fire. That was my point. We <laughs> yeah, love it's a very, fire. very good point. And I was trying to figure out where that comes from because we just love sitting around the fire. Maybe that's just, and this is the Druid deck, so that's why I was so. So anyway, what is coming up for me? Well, I had, and okay, I am an alcoholic, so I. I feel like what that means is I have epiphanies all the time about shit I've already said. (laughs) (laughs) I constantly have epiphanies, and KJ's probably thinking, you said that yesterday. (laughs) So, um, but 
I went to Just Local today, our local co-op. Just Local is expanding. They're going to have a brand new store. It's going to be an actual co-op. Um, and yesterday I went to, we have a new restaurant in town called The Good Wives. The mm-hmm. Good Wives. It's queer owned. And it's, uh, and they have vegan options. A lot? No. But they have them. They exist. They have wonderful <laughs> So anyway, what? Oh, and yesterday I went to the art crawl. Eau Claire does an art crawl every year, and it's in our Banbury place, which is the old. We have it. it Eau Claire was kind of built upon Uniroyal, like that's why there's population here. <laughs> well, and besides the history of what we did to the native people, but yeah, that um, as well. <laughs> um, uh, and so since Uniroyal left, and we have this giant factory. People have tried to preserve it, which is, I yes. think, cool. Anyway, where is this all leading? This is all leading to the realization that this is my community. This is where I live, and I'm trying to grow where I'm planted. I am hmm. planted here right now. I'm always, see, in my head, I always want to move. I always want to leave this place. Um, a big reason is because it's not the biggest LGBTQ-friendly area. It's very cisgender, heteronormative. Um, there are quite a few, I feel like, I feel like it's easy to be easier to be gay and lesbian here. Not easy, but easier. But definitely trans folk in Eau Claire. Um, it's a struggle, I do think. There's lots of accepting people. There are a lot of trans people that live here. Oh, but, absolutely. Um, anyway, but like just recently in the past week or so, a queer business in Chippewa Falls, they have a sign that said, hate is not welcome here, and that's been vandalized multiple times. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. And people in Chippewa Falls who get the sign and put it in their yard, their signs have been vandalized. And so this queer business, and I should look it up, so we should plug it. But I'm Absolutely. not going to do it now. We'll plug it later. But um, <laughs> uh, Just because it's a very important to support our queer businesses in the Chippewa Valley. And this is not Chippewa Valley. Po- okay, I have too many thoughts. Oh, right. So, uh, anyway, what's my point? My point is, I want to grow where I'm planted. This is my community right now. If I leave it eventually, that's okay. And so what is this? Um, a responsibility to a social movement or ever. I want to get back in to being a part of the active queer community here in Eau Claire. We've had a pandemic. I've gotten busy with work. I got a nursing degree in the past. I used to volunteer with queer organizations in town. And, um, yeah, so uh, I, I just have gotten busy in my activism. And I have talked about this before. I just want to get back to that, you know? It's yeah. nice to be out and about, out and about in the community more. And anyway, I feel like I've talked a lot. That's what's coming up for me. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I, th- I think that that's all. It's I love the fact that you are finding community where you are. Because Eau Claire, you know, Eau Claire was a place that I desperately wanted and also in a lot of ways needed out of it was not a healthy place for me to grow and thrive and I kept trying to make it that way and it just didn't work Uh and but I do think every time I come back there's something new that I'm like okay there are people here that are trying they are making an effort they're making sure that people feel welcome here 
And they're trying to preserve what little culture Eau Claire was left with. Because I also think we came we came up during a time where Eau Claire was struggling in a lot of ways. All oh, yeah. of the cool downtown businesses had moved out and moved to the mall in the 90s. Um, all of the... All of the like restaurants that made Eau Claire an interesting place to live either left or they were like shitty supper clubs for like straight couples. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like family restaurants where you could draw on the tablecloth, which is all fine. But just like it wasn't it wasn't a place where you could find anything deeper in a lot of ways. Mm. And I think now there are a lot of people that are trying to change that and make it bigger. Um, and there are also a lot of people still there who are like, no, I don't want it. I don't like it. So it is important for people who are still there, who want to remain a part of the community, to be out and about in the community. And I think it's beautiful that you have found a little bit of that. It was a great weekend for that. By the way, the business I think you were thinking of was String Theory, Craft Supplies. Yep, String Theory and Chippewa Falls. So if you can support them, they also um, have offered to replace any vandalized signs for free. So absolutely support them. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's interesting, too, because because what you're what you're talking about, too, is that the queer community in Eau Claire was always felt really repressed to me. A community of people that were like, yeah, I'm gay, but I always I always had that kind of an attitude from a lot of the gays in Eau Claire. And I think that comes from being raised in an area where like people would tell you, yeah, it's fine if you're gay. Just don't like come on to me. You know, that's that's the kind of attitude that we were. So that was accepting. Those are the people we had to be like, thank you so much for being so accepting of me. We had to like mm-hmm. offer them our like praise because that was the best we were going to get for a while. And it sounds like and I'm shitting on a player really heavily, but that was like 2005 to 2007 when they were also trying to pass also a marriage like, amendment. <laughs> sure. And we just, we got to remember that also was a viewpoint when we were coming into our queerness and um, there were lots of out and proud queer people in the uh, Eau Claire area, Absolutely. but we weren't necessarily seeing them. That's the thing about circles and, and also age differences. So, um, yeah. So anyway, that that is what that card is bringing up for me is just to grow where I'm planted yeah. and to be comfortable here. Because as you know, moving is expensive. It's a lot. And you're moving in the same place. Oh, yeah. And and so we're moving. Move we're moving cities. a mile away. Yeah, we're, we're, we're moving yeah. a mile away from where we currently live. We're barely so to moving. completely move cities is just it's too much. And well, it's and not you a own possibility a house for me. Like mom is a homeowner. Oh, she is. So anyway, um, but yes. And then not that we're like a political news podcast. Uh, <laughs> that's not what we are. <laughs> but in case anyone feels like we need to comment about uh, the police murder in Tennessee and just all of that, just know that, of course, we're paying attention and it's horrible and it's a very complex situation. So I'm not even thinking we're going to... Um, we're not even we're not diving into it and it's not because we don't want to it's just because we have a different topic for today and also lots of other great podcasts and people are diving into that and just obviously know that we know about it we're not ignoring it it's awful and um yeah the police brutality situation in this country is ongoing it is ongoing 
ongoing and never ending until we abolish the police, which is the only stance that I can find myself able to take these days. Um, abolish and move on. But again, as you said, that's not the topic for today. And mm-hmm. I will post, uh, there's a couple of GoFundMes and also that I found. I'll see if I saved any of them and also a few um, spaces that you can donate that will be able to uh, alleviate pain and suffering in those areas at least on a monetary level for the time being so we'll post some 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 resources down below to help you get uh get involved if you are looking to do so and yes okay so what are we talking about today uh so well what did we do yesterday (laughs) So we have watched <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, Freddy Wants His Teddy. Freddy Wants His Teddy. No one will give it uh, back. Oh so, my goodness. just so you know, KJ is a firm aficionado lover of the horror, horror movies. No. And I'm not. And I am not. <laughs> so we have two viewpoints coming into this movie. And I think it's 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 less that here's here here's the thing and please 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 correct me if I'm wrong, I think what I have noticed if I may make an observation is make that it. when things get confusing or weird uh, in a film, the natural reaction I notice from you is discomfort and wanting to go away, like not wanting to like live in that world and wanting that world to no longer be forced upon you in some way shape or form and i yeah. it it feels like secondhand cringe kind of is what i'm sort of getting from from you in terms of which takes takes away from your ability to immerse yourself in the world of a movie and that's and, and that's everybody has a has a genre where they really struggle with that i can't do it with rom-coms anymore the moment i start hearing sweeping st- strings and two white people mostly mostly straight people falling in love i'm out <laughs> i'm immediately out i'm i'm cringing i hate it i can't watch it um, I know so. she won't. She won't indulge in the "You've Got Mail" made you in Manhattan. What? I try. She it. won't do it. But Jennifer <laughs> Lopez just wants love, KJ. That's I all know. she wants. But maybe if she made better choices. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, anyway. So no, I get it. Like like genre genre wise, what I've what I've gotten from you in the past is that it's not even that because because I think you like being spooked. I think you like being scared a little bit. Exactly. I like ooky spooky dooky. <laughs> Not dooky. Um, I like ooky spooky. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't like into... gross. I don't like gross. And Freddie is very gross. And I didn't yeah. realize how gross he and was. They they got worse too as they go along. They really start leaning leaning into that gross out factor as they yeah. go farther and farther into it, which was also sort of an eighties way of doing like if you watch movies with a lot of special effects even movies that aren't technically horror movies like sci-fi movies special effects in the 80s really got visceral they're really they're like gutty and like weird liquids and strange textures and like things that if that that like you can you can touch them through the screen you know what i mean and you don't like the way they feel that type of stuff is really prevalent in the 80s yeah, so I'm not a big fan of gore and gross, um, but I like scary. And the thing about this movie is that the second film in this franchise wasn't scary at the time, and it's not scary now. Um, but it is a campy, 
good time and also mm-hmm. has been labeled the gay nightmare on Elm Street, which is why we're talking about it today. That's why we're so, talking about it. Uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, was released on November 1st, 1985 here in the United States. It was directed by Jack Shoulder, and uh, the original story was written by Wes Craven, R.I.P., um, and... Uh, Wes Craven didn't want anything to do with this film. He had never intended for this to become a franchise, um, and very few of Wes Craven's film series became franchises, Scream being one of the major exceptions. Um, And this movie was also created very quickly after the first one, because they were trying to, like, get on the train. They were like, well, we made... We made a lot of money off of this first movie, so we should try to do it again. Uh, New Line Cinema was a new company at the time. They had only released a couple of their own films. They were a distribution company. They distributed other films, and they were trying to break into feature films. And this was their first major commercial success when they were still a very, very small company before they became the huge empire they all now are when they got bought out by Time Warner AOL back in the day. And pushed out Robert Shea, who was their CEO from the beginning. Um, who, by the way, made a cameo in the movie. I pointed that out to you, and we'll get there. Yeah, um, the bartender. The bartender. So, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. I thought it would be fun if we each gave a one-sentence description of the film. So, I'm curious. I want to hear yours first. What's your one-sentence description of a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge? Okay, my one-sentence description is... I was boil alive, so now you all have to die. <laughs> That's technically the one sentence description of every single one of the films. Um. <laughs> well, that's what it was. That's what it was. Uh huh. Um, mine is. That wasn't, uh huh. Like, I don't believe you. But no, you go. You go, girl. <laughs> I just. I thought you could have described the plot a little bit more deeply, but I'm not going it's to It's one sentence. <laughs> I don't have to do a run-on sentence. Have you ever read a description? They're all run-on sentences. Uh, okay. You go. No, you go. no it's fine. Um, a young demon twink named Jesse <laughs> is possessed by the spirit of a demonic entity named Freddy Krueger who takes over his body and murders the people around him in an effort to make his way into the real world. Also, there's a Will and Grace relationship <laughs> in the movie. Uh, I added a, uh, I added a colon. Uh, but <laughs> um, anyway, so, and and that is actually, that is the real moral of the story, is that twinks are a nightmare. They're a nightmare. <laughs> oh, they're young, they're hot, and they just, they think they can get away with murder. And you know what? In this movie, they do. They do. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, so we've... we've uh, we've watched other films where it's been like, there's a lot of homoerotic subtext in this movie. We've definitely watched some films together. Or we were picking up on ourselves because we were just like, Gaspar Duliel, please come sit on my face. Um, <laughs> I can't believe he's dead. I know. I know. R.I.P. Is that the one? No, he's not. Someone's dead. Anyway. Anyway. One of the French individuals we love is dead. Um, I know. It was awful. They died. Anyway. Anyway, back to the movie. 
Back to this movie. I know we are all over the place today, which, again, is more accurate than how we portray ourselves on this fine program uh, a lot of the time. We're more like Trixie and Katya. Anyway, just all over the place and can't stick to the point. So the 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 a little backstory on this. Uh, David Chaskin wrote the screenplay for this movie. And David Chaskin uh, was not queer, but wanted to incorporate elements of the AIDS epidemic and what it must feel like for particularly gay men to feel this part of themselves that they can't do anything about, they can't change, they can't drag it out of them, but sometimes feels like a demon or or a cancer or something that they can't rip out of them. Um, Because there was a lot of really, really harsh negative feelings about homosexuality and queer people since time immemorial uh, (laughs) in various iterations throughout society. But we were going through a really heavy one after the 60s and 70s, sexual revolutions, and then the AIDS epidemic hit. And it really, really changed the face of being out and queer. And a lot of people either went back in the closet or were now terrified of being outed. And uh, the individual who plays Jesse was a young actor named Mark Patton. And Mark Patton was a closeted gay man. He had not come out yet to very many people in his life. And he had just started to get some commercial success in films and he was spotted in a film that uh, was a adaptation of a Broadway show that went to screen and he got brought in to read for the part of Jesse and they cast this young skinny little white boy who had the scream of a Jamie Lee Curtis he oh, could the scream, scream queen. The scream is so good. <laughs> it was so good. He had the best scream and that's part of the reason they cast him that way because this movie has a a male damsel in distress and a female hero, which is also very different for the eighties. Very different. I love that part of it. I love that. (laughs) And so the, but David Chaskin in writing all of this queer subtext into the movie, uh, actually created a conundrum for Mark Patton because when the movie came out and they started distributing it and people started watching it, Mark Patton got pegged as a queer actor, which he was, but he was not ready for people to know that yet. The movie kind of outed him and it actually destroyed his career. He wasn't able to get work after that. And he eventually fled to Mexico um, and his partner died of AIDS. And he had quite a really tragic life story, um, which he just recently documented in a documentary that you can watch on Shudder or HBO. I can't remember which one it's on scream queen, which is his documentary that he directed about his career and what nightmare on Elm street kind of did. The thing that kind of galled people is that David Chaskin denied putting any gay subtext in the film when he first wrote the script because he didn't want to own up to that. And then later started to admit that, yes, he put it in there and it was just supposed to be subtext. But some of the directorial decisions kind of brought that subtext to the surface. And then people started blaming Mark, saying Mark made the movie gay. And Junko, what would, what did Junko kept saying? Ah, uh, yes. The actors are the ones who are making this movie gay. Because when you watch it, you're like, oh, it's not just the acting. <laughs> so what are some things that you notice before we get into some specifics? Oh, so, well, first, if you, I feel like as a queer, I don't know. Okay, my initial opinion, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe for some people it does beat them over the head with it, but for me, if you weren't looking for it, 
I actually feel like you could miss the gay subtext. Um, I see I what was, you're saying. Though. I was, I was looking for a lot more accidental same-sex kisses. The only thing that does beat you over the head with it, I thought, was there's a scene where. He, and also, I thought Freddy was supposed to attack you in your nightmares, but the lead character falls asleep, but then it's all him, like, sleepwalking and being possessed. So, and I'm not familiar with Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, so this is me. I thought there was going to be a lot more, this is terrifying. Oh, he was asleep, which happens in the beginning a little bit. Mm -hmm. But towards the end, it's all very much just happening in the real world. Um... But there's a scene where he goes to a bar. He is very much going to a gay bar. And if it's not a gay bar, it's at least like, no, it's very much like a towny gay bar. Yeah. Yep. That's very, very what it is. And it's supposed to take place in Ohio, even though there are palm trees. But continue. <laughs> yeah. So that, to me, definitely hits you over the head. But for all the other stuff, I kind of had to think about, like, um, horror movies, I think, are famous for giving you that quote-unquote like weird boner like a boner and then someone's murdered but that's usually with like boobs and a lady mm -hmm. so this show um i feel like you don't initially realize it but gives you that weird boner with the boys being murdered. yes um so to, to, to answer your question the uh I'm, I'm gonna try to go through this in sequence so that was a big critique of the film when it first came out because Freddy is not supposed to be able to attack people outside of your dreams. That's the whole point. He has, he's been given dominion over the dreamscape. Um, and he uses that to get to you. And what uh, the, the, the whole possession thing and everything like that, they were trying something that didn't work. Um, it didn't work. A lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people didn't enjoy it. But a lot of people didn't like this movie less because of the bad scripting and a lot because, again, think of, like, shitty teenage boys from 1985. They just were like, this is a fucking gay. Like, that That literally was just, like, the way it was respond it responded to oh, me. And I loved it. The scene where the coach is in Ugh. the shower mm -hmm. and he gets tied with his face to the wall, ass up. That was a good ass. Mm -hmm. That was a good ass. No, absolutely. And, and like there, there, there were a lot of choices that were made by production. And there's a documentary called Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy. And it's it's a very, very long documentary about the whole franchise. And they go through film by film. And yeah, a lot of the production crew were like, I didn't think that anything we were doing would have all this gay subtext. But then you watch it mm -hmm. back and you're like, either we were all incredibly naive or we're all latently homosexual. I'm not sure which one it is. Uh, that was a direct quote from one of the production crew members um, because the game probe on like of all the games that could have been in his closet probe. Yeah. So you're in his bedroom and there's a game called probe, which no one has ever heard of. Nobody. I mean, yeah, maybe I haven't. So I guess any millennial or younger has not heard of this game. So there's a game called Probe, and you're like, come on. And then come he on. leaves the cabana where he's making out with the heroine who ends up saving him, um, who looks like Meryl Streep. 
and he goes to hang out with his dude friend. Um, and he feels more secure and safe with this guy named Grady than he does with his would-be girlfriend. And I and there's Grady a little bit of is hot. Oh yeah, he is the right kind of '80s hot, right? He is hot. And uh, and then he gets murdered by Freddy after he after Freddy literally tears his way out of Jesse's body. Uh, okay, see here's here I don't like gross, but that was amazing. I mean the prosthetics were pretty freaking incredible for 1985. Like Yeah. Freddy Krueger comes out. Uh what's the leads? Jesse? Jesse, yep. He comes out of Jesse's body. And I think I don't mind it because even though it's gross, it wasn't like bugs. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 I get you. There were there weren't any like mystery liquids. It was just body stuff. Yeah. And you're used to body stuff. You're a nurse. Um yeah. so all those incisions you do working from home now. Uh but <laughs> but no, it's uh there's there's all these moments where where again it's it's that it's like weird boner moment where you're like, um should this be making me feel a certain type of way? Like that moment oh, where he goes Grady into, into, into is in his little room. little shorty shorts. That's what the eighties got right with oh, shorty shorts yes, on boys. hundred percent. And that part where he pants Jesse, and Jesse's just in his jockstrap, uh, mm-hmm. and it's just like hugging in the right place. It's like gay. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then they have to do planks together for hours, and the like, the the coach slash like fiad teacher is fully just watching them do it. And then we find out yeah. he goes to these leather BDSM clubs. And so let's get to that really quickly. Let's let's describe that scene. So he the coach goes uh goes out to this club where Jesse has found himself at. Uh kind of half some you know, somnambulistically. He's just sort of uh, just just slept walk his way there. He orders a beer. Behind the bar is the producer, the head producer and the head of uh new line cinema who always wanted to be an actor and uh always got these little bit roles in the movies and he's this bartender behind and he has this huge hair that's been like partially spray dyed black he's got this like leather harness on and his lips are are like this like death purple color (laughs) and he doesn't have a he doesn't say a word jesse orders a beer he like literally pushes the glass towards him with the back of his hand, like snaps the glass at him. And before Jesse can take a drink, the coach grabs his arm and you look up and he's there also in a little leather harness and looking real daddy. And then when you get back to the school, he makes him run laps and then he tells him to hit the showers. When he hits the showers, he kind of like half falls asleep. And while the coach is waiting for him to come out of the shower, we see him grab a jump rope and start wrapping it around his hands. We know exactly what's on his mind. He thinks he's going to be able to do something with Jesse, which is fucked up and disgusting because he's a student. Um, but then I mean, what happens? fucked up in the real world, but hot in the porn <laughs> world. <laughs> but then what happens? What happens? Instead. <laughs> the lamest. The lamest sports balls come to life scene. It's so it's funny. Like all these balls of sport, foot, football, soccer ball, Tennis. basketball, they all start shaking 
it's not scary at all. And I can't see it being scary in the theater, but maybe it was. Um, no, that was definitely a life. moment that was played for laughs. That was that one was played for laughs. That's another thing that Nightmare on Elm Street movies do. They get you laughing before you see the like grotesqueness of something, and then someone's being eviscerated. Yeah, but he the jump ropes. Oh, and that was hilarious. These jump ropes drag him to the shower. <laughs> and these jump ropes dragging him, but there's no person, is so funny. But then he gets stripped naked in the shower, and I wish we would have lingered there a little longer. Uh, and then he gets murdered. But yeah, that outfit on the coach was could not be anything other than Leather Daddy. That was no, that's 100%. the one time where you're like, what is this outfit? That is a leather daddy. <laughs> well, and the a lot of these scenes, you also have to remember, they will film longer versions of these scenes, and then the censors that the MPAA will be like, no, no, no. If you keep that in, it's an NC-17. Like, you can't keep that in. You can't keep that in. So I can imagine that some of the outtakes from that scene were much more intense. To be honest with you, I feel like if it was made today, they would imply that he's getting, like, like, like I don't know, a... A, a tennis racket up the ass i'm not sure i'm like you know Something. what i mean like they would have they they would have taken it further um because some movies have taken it significantly further in the last couple of oh. years um but then jesse comes to and he's naked and he's wearing freddie's glove and he's covered yeah. in the coach's blood <laughs> and coach is dead uh and then we get jesse's incredible scream once again um but throughout the movie Jesse also has this really weird relationship with his dad, his dad, who was played by a man named Clue, who was like a huge actor at one point in time. And he got uh, a lot of these. And what a daddy he is. Oh, my God. I know. Right. And all these adult actors in the 80s got um, like second, like second renaissances in horror films, playing like adults and parents in horror films. Um because they've and then like a they, very str- like cis man kind of way. They're just very hot disciplinarians. Well, and that's the thing. Well, and he has that one line where his mom's like, "He needs professional help," and then he goes, "What that boy needs is a good goddamn kick in the butt." <laughs> and you're yeah, like, and you're like, "You could kick me in the butt. You could." That depends upon the spirit in which it was delivered. Uh, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, so there's all these like, and again, like it's it's high camp. Everything is like heightened. Everything is too much. All the acting is over the top. And there is something really endearing about a lot of the performance give, performances given by a lot of the characters, but the sister, the little sister. Can we talk about the deadest the deadest performance from this like nine, 10 year old where it's like, were you like the daughter of one of the production assistants? Like, how did you get cast in this? I know it was so, there's a scene where Jesse is freaking out in the kitchen. He's like, did you know someone was murdered across the street? (laughs) He's so upset. And the little girl goes, I'm scared. And, and yeah, but really like wish... you, you gave it, you gave it even more emotion. She, I am scared. Yeah, <laughs> it's like terrible. Nothing. And I really wish the reaction from the father. Instead, he like holds the daughter. And he's like, "You got to stop this" or something. But I really wish the reaction would have been, "Shut up, <laughs> <laughs> shut up, Sarah," uh... <laughs> because her her horrible acting and saying, "I'm scared." 
it makes you laugh and you really just want to be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and a-, a lot of these movies have like, because they're casting people based on specific abilities and specific looks and they are not always casting for acting ability, but usually they're a little stronger than that. They can make stronger choices. Even if you don't agree with the strong choice, at least they made a bold choice. This little child actor, which they've had several child actors in these Nightmare on Elm Street movies. She was the deadest eyed of them all. Like fucking looked into Pennywise's deadlights and her soul was taken. Nothing behind the eyes. Um, (laughs) And the mom is like such an eighties mom. She's got that nice cropped blonde, like blonde helmet of hair um, Mm -hmm. and the high-waisted mom jeans. uh, Mm -hmm. Just like, ooh, just perfect 80s mom. And this family unit, they move into this house because they get this great deal because the girl who lived there went went to an asylum after. They claim because she saw her boyfriend murdered across the street and then her mom committed suicide. She died by suicide. Um, which is not true because in the first movie, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it in the first movie, Freddie killed both of them. Um, but no one. Yeah. Believes and that's that. another thing we get is just lots of men being this object of sexual desire, which doesn't happen. Usually it's usually oh, yeah, none oh, of the women, none of the women because... are even remotely looked at in this movie yeah i wrote it down because they find this diary and the diary it goes um oh she's describing spying on the boy next door and she goes his body is slim and smooth and so we're like describing uh watching the boy next door be the object of sexual desire and we don't get that usually in shows women are always the objects of sex sexual desire and men are always the one desiring them and so not only are we getting female sexuality but obviously gay sexuality (laughs) oh a hundred percent and even in the first film um the nick Corey, who is that's that's not actually his name that's the name that they gave him because he was a Latin actor pretending to be Italian because Latin actors were not being cast in major Hollywood pictures. Um, so his agent gave him an Italian name. So I should really remember what his actual name is. I'll look it up in a second. But uh, he spends half the movie in nothing. Like he, uh, the the scene where his girlfriend is murdered in bed, we see actually quite little of her body in a lot of ways. We do see some breast, but he's more naked than she is. Um, in, in a lot of that scene while she's being brutally murdered, dragged across the ceiling, he's down in nothing but tidy whiteies and his tidy whiteies fit. Unlike Jesse's in the scene where Johnny Depp dies, Johnny Depp is in a football crop top that ends right as right at his rib cage. So he's like VPL and crop top. Um, and, and all of Heather Langenkamp's are, uh, costumes are like oversized, like dress shirts and like, pajamas she's never in anything scantily clad like it was really interesting these movies do they they changed over time by the fourth film there mm. but the first three films they're actually very very focused on um the story being more important than like the sexuality but the sexuality is there between freddy krueger and the kids in a lot of ways because freddy krueger was a child molester before he was murdered mm. and they don't lean into that very heavily, but no, he has a seductive dance with all these like teenagers and he's very non-discerning. 
You know what I mean? Like he does not care. Like mm. <laughs> gay, straight, black, white, <laughs> uh, male, female, non-binary, trans. I don't care. I'm a kill you. Uh, so, you know, it's anyway, let's go back to the tidy whities Oh, yeah. What I was just going to say is nothing pet peeves me more than when we put boys in ugly underwear. I love sexy underwear. And oh, they put Jesse in the worst baggy tidy whities where I'm just like, they, you should have just put him in a diaper. This is gross. I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, and and the only thing I can think of is that in the 80s, we weren't making a lot of like sexy underwear for like teens you know what i mean and if Ugh. they were they well, were all feminine. we probably shouldn't i know we do but we probably should. but that's what these shows did they sexualized teens even though when we think about it how disgusting well and they were all played by like 19 to 23 year olds so it's fine right, yeah. um and we when when those movies came out or when we were watching them the first time a lot of the times we were teens like i was a teen when i saw all of the nightmare on elm street movies it was between the ages of like 11 to 15 that i saw all of the nightmare on elm street movies and yeah like there were a lot of them where i was just like oh he's making me feel weird i don't know why Ooh. why is he making me feel <laughs> like weird? when your crotch gets a headache yeah or like a fever uh <laughs> no it's uh yeah it's it's so the other thing i wanted to talk about with this movie is that there's in between all of the like like coded queerness and blah 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 there's also this storyline where they're really trying to shove jesse's like existence into this girl named Lisa's existence. And she's she does. She looks like a young Meryl Streep. She's really, really gorgeous. She's very sweet. She's and then ultimately ends up being the hero. She saves Jesse at the end. But they're trying to make this romance feel real. And it's like, no, they're fully like watching it now. I was like, it's a young Will and Grace. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If Will and Grace had been high school friends instead of college lovers turned friends, like Th- that's exactly who it is. It's every single little like skinny white twink and his like his straight best friend um, who wishes Absolutely. that he was in love with her. <laughs> I know because they're fully making out in this. Well, it starts with the lamest little nuzzly kisses, um, but it does turn into a full makeout. And then he's always stopping it. Jesse's always. And so that is what's funny is that it is Meryl Streep. And that's not who it is. But what's her name? Lisa. Lisa. Yeah. It is Lisa always trying to get with Jesse. And that's what's also funny is Jesse is not having it. He is like, I want to go be with Grady. <laughs> I want to go be with my boyfriend. No. <laughs> and there's 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 just all these moments where you're like okay even even from an acting standpoint it just feels like there was a choice made to not have Jesse actually fight harder to be with this girl who we're supposed to believe he's like romantically involved with and in a lot of ways it's like no there's no <laughs> um and th- uh, yeah so it's just it's really funny to watch it as like an older adult and and like really really like analyze it because we've now watched all of these coming out stories these coming of age stories these will and grace knockoff or will and grace style stories edge of 17 and the and the like um get real and this is all of those movies except with a psycho like murderer who also lives beyond the grave 
and all this gay subtext that we're not allowed to like put to put on the surface. Um, so that's part of the reason, like, like you said, it's not beating you over the head with it, but that was never the intention of the writer. The writer wanted there to be all this subtext, but then they made all these choices that brought the subtext, not necessarily like gay, 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 gay over your head, but like, that seems a little gay as you're watching it. Jesse really wants nothing to do with Lisa. (laughs) And one thing that can be a universal experience for people in general is that high school sucks, but is definitely a queer narrative that high school is awful. And so the store, the movie starts, it's a dream, but we don't know that. The movie starts with Jesse on a school bus sweating and these two bitches just giggling and laughing about him. And it really does. It really like initiates this response in you like, oh, I hate high school. I hated everything Ugh. about it. And I hate those bitches. And I hope that school bus die. Oh, just, and that's, and so this, uh, that is very, also another thing, and that was very true in my high school experience, yeah. is you have this kind of sensitive boy and mom and dad are like, we got to help him. What's wrong with Jesse? And I know that was my high school experience a little bit. I was very depressed and my parents are very much like, we have this sensitive boy. What's wrong with Shim Sham? Well, they could. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. Fisher Price's line of, of wells for sensitive boys didn't exist yet. <laughs> I love it. So that was very, it's very queer, but also can be very universal, is that high school sucks. And poor Jesse, the sensitive, sensitive. I mean, by the end, uh, so Jesse does live, but by the end, with Jesse being constantly possessed, I was very much on board with like, Lisa, just kill him. (laughs) (laughs) If I would have been Lisa, I would have just killed Jesse. I'm like, he keeps killing people. Just murder. And she was, she is a better woman than me. She was like, no, we're going to save him. Yeah, because do you remember how she saves him? She kisses him when he's Freddy. And that brings him back out. And it was like, oh, that's cute and romantic and very like fairy tale-esque. The true love's kiss, blah, blah, blah. But also it was like, I don't believe any of this. It's not, it's not believable. Um, but again, that was also a scripting issue because a lot of the times, uh, when you, when you listen to interviews with people who worked on this particular film, they were like, the whole pool party sequence doesn't make any sense. The ending doesn't really make any sense. Like there's just, there's all this stuff in it where it was just like a bunch of disparate scenes that didn't quite come together. So really I like watching it specifically to kind of find and analyze like, yeah, that like like again, the game in the closet and then also the little dance he does when he's putting all of his like stuff away. How do you like that? Dad? Oh, I di- I wrote that. So yeah, he is dancing to Do we know who the music is? I don't. I forget which song that was. But it's very much like could have been like a diva from the 80s. Oh, yeah. Um and so it was very much like gay boy dancing to Madonna and then his mom and was yeah his mom and sister see him dancing and of course they laugh <laughs> but um it very much was like um gay boy dancing to like Lady Gaga or Madonna oh. and then his parents <laughs> catching him it was very much like that kind of moment it was called touch me all night long <laughs> Ooh, 
by who? Uh, by Fonda Ray and American and the the American band Walsh. Um, and oh my goodness, that is so funny. Um, touch me all night long. And all fun fact, long. fun fact about that scene. It is. It was for a long time. I don't know if it is anymore, but for a long time, that was one of those things that gay clubs would just play on the TV screens in the background. That scene of him dancing and putting like bouncing his butt everywhere was just like playing on TV screens in queer clubs all across the United States. Because again, we recognize our own. Uh, <laughs> family knows family, and so okay. Some final thoughts about the film, ostensibly and like objectively it's not a very good movie like it's it's poorly written it's poorly executed (laughs) and yet there are nuggets along the way where it's like there are elements to it that i'm like i feel like there were a lot of people trying really hard to make something really cool out of an idea that just didn't work right yeah um and i i never like to fault people for putting really really hard work into something that didn't pan out the way that it was expected to. I thought there's some fun acting performances. I think the prosthetics and a lot of the uh, special effects in this movie, they really found a way to make some really cool things happen on a tight budget. These films were not made for huge Hollywood budgets. These films were made for even low amounts of money in the eighties. So they grossed pretty high for how much money they spent on them. Um, But, and also it's just nice to have, Something from the 80s where people are like, that's fucking gay. And we can be like, yeah, you're right. It is. And it's ours. <laughs> it's, ours. <laughs> it's not for you. Um, Final thoughts from you. Yeah, just totally agree. I loved a female heroine and a male damsel in distress. Love that. Not that we have to. I mean, we're still living, of course, in the cis binary. But of course, uh, that's. That's where we were. So I do love that kind of top, like flip flop. Um, you're right. We could have done it differently. And then, um, yeah, just love. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at my notes here. What did I write? Worst kiss ever. <laughs> Grady's room. Grady is hot. <laughs> oh, and also, um, Jesse constantly referring to freddy as he's inside me (laughs) and he's trying to get out (laughs) oh you are just like jesse you little twink bottom girl you're no you little demon twink if this was remade today it would have been called jesse the demon twink (laughs) yeah oh my goodness no it's just it's uh these these the reason I like this particular franchise is that they got really imaginative with how they created this world, which was really just designed to like murder teens, right? To have beautiful mm-hmm. young people get killed. Um, that's what the slasher genre is. It's been that way since like, um, like I don't know, Blood and Black Lace, like all of all of these films from like the sixties and seventies that and exploitation films that led us into the slasher craze. Um. It's designed to, like, either, like, punish teens for transgressing or for, like, as Sigourney Weaver says in um, Cabin in the Woods, for being young, for being, you know what I mean? Like, like the punishment is your youth, your beauty, um, 
you're you're being punished for all those things that people no longer have um <sighs> and for flaunting it and not appreciating it no it's um <clears throat> or for being a closeted gay demon twink um <laughs> whatever the transgression no and What's what's just really fun about this franchise is that they were trying to take that and trying to elevate it in some way, give it a little bit more depth, give it more of a story, give it some lore, some reasoning, um, which, again, like, I love a good campy film. I love a film with a little bit more depth. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 would actually be a fun one for us to do in the future because that one deals with mental health and teen suicide and, like, the, the how, how the 80s was really a time where a lot of teenagers started to... Uh, really struggle with existence. We really started to focus on the fact that it was hard to be a teenager. It was hard to go through all of that. And a lot of those teenagers grew up to be really repressed Gen Xers. So, you know, go hug one of the Gen Xers in your life. They won't like it, but they probably need it. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Give them a vegan donut. Just mm. give them a vegan donut. Oh my God, I want a vegan donut right now. Ruby. <laughs> I'm on my oh, well, that was a fun distraction from life. Uh, mem- remember to take time out and turn off the news. Yes, please. And, you know, uh, if, if you're looking for more suggestions for films like this, I have a million of them. So go ahead. I'll, I'll email you she back. She has email a million. Like, and I? if you want to watch um, Tom Hanks and... Uh, Meg Ryan, fall in love. You call me, cause I'll I'll do that with you. If you want to see Meg Ryan call Rosie O'Donnell in the middle of the night, and say I'm just so lonely. <laughs> I know, girl. I'm lonely too. So either way, if, if either way, if you want to to contact us about that, you can email us at thequeermocast at gmail Check out our list of resources in the description below. And until next time, Solange. I actually still had beverage left today. First in a long time. Ooh, she took the hat off. She took the wig off. Oh, my God. How does it feel? Freeing? Oh, wigs are hot. Oh, my goodness. Girl, don't I know. Yeah.